This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is House Agriculture Chair Mike Conaway. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs of the U.S. Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Chairman Mike Conaway next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. They know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. The plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy. And you can learn more at SugarAlliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Time has run out for the 2014 Farm Bill, leaving the four principal leaders of the conference committee to face added pressure to complete work on a new set of farm laws before the end of the calendar year. House Agriculture Chairman Mike Conaway is no stranger to tough policy choices and says Senators Robertson, Stabenow, along with his ranking member Peterson, remain focused to complete the task at hand, but certainly not without challenges. It's been spirited, it's been thoughtful, it's been constant. You know, we're, you know, we've got great staff in place who are going through the nits and nets and the big four trying to hammer out things as well. And so it's moving along, sometimes at glacier-like speed, which drives me crazy. But where are we are, we're going to run out of time, and the clock goes to zero. Then we've got a new ball game at that point in time to continue to get it done. October is going to be a bit more challenging than normal because the House will not be in session in the entire month of October. That presents some challenges, but... Since right now we're still with just the big four negotiating, I'm willing to come back to D.C. at any time to meet with my three colleagues to, to continue moving this process forward. Colin made some good comments the other day about getting this thing done before the end of the year, and I think you know Senator Roberts and Stabenow both said the same thing. So uh, October would be a good month to put it to bed, get it scored, get the paperwork done, come back you know early November with conference report ready to be signed and move it across both floors into the president. So that's the current kind of game plan I'm talking to folks about, and it, it's certainly realistic, but it will require the four of us to uh, continue to get at it. Some want to blame this delay on just one thing, like nutrition and the work requirement, or some want to blame it on the upcoming election, or want to blame it on one particular member of the four. Is it that easy? Oh, heavens no. If it were that simple and straightforward, we would have a different path to, uh, to head down. But none of the 12 titles are put to bed. We still have policy differences within each one of those, uh, some more significant than others. But uh, SNAP is, is it certainly in the mix. But it is not the weightiest of the ones. You know, this farm bill should be about helping folks in production agriculture who, as you know, suffered the worst five years and since the Depression, a 50% drop in net income. Commodity prices are not getting any better. better. And so that part of the farm bill, to me, uh, is essential to get this done because that's where the rubber meets the road of making sure Americans can continue to have the most affordable food supply of any nation in, in, in the world. And so deep differences there, policy differences. You know, some Title I is not as important to some as others, and miscellaneous is more important to others. And so there's a, a lot of issues on the table that no one of which should kill the deal, and the weight of all of them should not kill the deal. It's just a matter of us coming to grips that eventually permanent law will kick in, and we've got to get this thing done. 
looking at the path that brought us here in the housework on the bill, Democrats said they'd rather work with the Senate in crafting the language than try to amend what you and the majority offered. The House bill was defined as partisan and the Senate bill bipartisan. Is it one on three in the closed door meetings or do you have support or at least empathy from any of the other members for your bill? Well, I would say that Colin is in a tough position given the vote in the House bill was uh, was just strict partisan. Uh, however, the 11 titles uh, besides SNAP, he and our teams worked together to put those t- together before the split happened in March over SNAP. And so while they all voted no, he has equities in the non-SNAP title that he's helping to uh, to defend, and, and he's also pushing to get this done. You know, there's this narrative out there that the House may flip, and if it did, he would be the chair, and he has not played that card one time. It's every comment he's making is, let's get this done. He even said publicly, if, if I'm a chairman in 19, I don't want the farm bill on the table. I want it done in 18. So to his credit, uh, he's, uh, he's in the fight trying to get this done as best he can, uh, given the narrative out of the leadership in the House. I believe all four of the principals are strong supporters of agriculture, and I believe you all want a farm bill. You've, you've said that for months on end, yet you still have to bring it together. Not all regions and not all commodities are the same. Can we define some of these impasses by geography or by commodity? There are some that want to try to do that. Jeff, I look at my job as representing agriculture across this country. Now, yeah, I've got some cotton farmers back home and some cattle guys and some sorghum guys, but I don't overweight my job in terms of trying to fix agriculture across this country because I think I'm one of the four who should be looking at it as in the least parochial as possible. Now, obviously, I've got to talk to those guys, and, and you have a circumstance where it just so happened that cotton was did not work in the 14 Farm Bill, and I had to work hard to try to address that, not just for Texas cotton farmers, but for cotton farmers across this country because they all participate. We got that done. That is not a part of this Farm Bill. And looking at what I'm trying to do with this Farm Bill is to help every section try to strengthen Title I as best we can for everybody, for the, well, for the majority of people that we can. And, yeah, we've got to make some hard choices with respect to some of the redistributions of pay-fors and how we treat things this way and that way. And you look to try to minimize the, the pain. But I also don't try to minimize the pain that, say, Texas would feel as I look at a potential solution to whatever it is we're trying to get done. We've got a drought yield update that, you know, my, my opponents on the other side and, the, and other senators are saying, well, you know, look what Conaway's done for Texas. Well, it's the drought. And, and if we want to find the drought differently, fine, let's have that conversation. But, but those uh, multi-week, multi-year droughts have an impact on what we're trying to do, particularly with, with the yield update that we're trying to address. Um, we also look at pay-fors under Title I that the negative impacts more on Texas than other places. So I'm, as best I can, trying to represent all of agriculture and not just, you know, cherry production or, you know, some especially crop, whatever. I'm looking at the full gamut and every sector, crop, section, region, is equal standing for me in terms of how we take these limited resources and try to address uh, the, the wreck that production agriculture currently finds itself in. So I may get criticized that way. It's easy. It's a path of least resistance. But I never look at those problems in that vein, in, in that light. And it kind of shocks me when I find my colleagues who do tend to look that direction uh, with respect to how they make decisions. Like, you know, I'm thinking in my head. I don't say it to them. I'm thinking in my head. You know, this is this is nationwide. We're, wait, time out. We're, we're trying to fix the whole thing, not just, you know, my not District 11 in Texas. So... 
but that's an easy criticism to make if uh, if someone's trying to to uh, distract from the, the hard decisions that are being made. Let's look at one of the lines, and in the House plan you were talking about just a minute ago, the the plan that would ultimately stop payments on unplanted base acres. Where where's that unplanted base? Well, bulk of it's in Texas. Anybody who's got acreage that's been in grass for ten years, we've got to have a hard difficult conversation with them to say should you be participating in title one if you're not in the planning fight if you're not growing stuff that's covered uh, or you've been in cover crops or other areas can you realistically argue with the folks who are and are in this fight trying to make money at it when you've just been planting grass for 10 years so that's a that's a hard conversation to have with people who are in looking at changes nobody loses base acres it just simply says for the for this farm bill base acres that haven't been planted on to anything except grass for the last 10 years, you won't be eligible for Title I. You're still eligible for all the other pro, uh, programs associated with grass and livestock production and everything else. You still maintain your base acre concept. USDA will continue to keep those records. And then when we look at this issue five years from now, things may be dramatically different at that point in time, and there will be a new consideration. So, you know, anytime you change something from somebody that they like, that's a difficult conversation to have. But it's a conversation that we try to make it as fair as possible and see who, who we're helping, how we're trying to, to redistribute those resources. And, and my guys will look at us saying, you know, it's hard to justify paying on base that uh, hadn't been planted anything in 10 years. It is said that this is to be worth about $900 million. That's a pretty significant figure over a 10-year period. Absolutely. And the idea is to put that $900 million against the problems that we've got within Title I. We've got a fine-tuned PLC. We've got a fine-tuned ARC. And we're trying to do some yield updates. There are lots of dials that we're trying to twist and turn inside Title I to try to keep it as self-contained as we can. We can't. We need more money in Title I that's got to come from somewhere else. I understand that's going to make some folks grumpy, but the truth of the matter is you look at those needs, and and while the base acre thing does shift money within Title I, it doesn't fix everything we need to fix in Title I, but it's a a big piece of it. And and I understand it's a hard conversation we have to have with people, but... um, you know, that's that's why I get these large ducats. That's why I get paid the big bucks is to try to help make those decisions. In 14, a much different financial climate than the climate that we find here in 18. Do the lower commodity prices that we are seeing now across the board and the challenges that we are seeing financially, does that put more pressure on this bill? Yeah, Jeff. I mean, you can't have this conversation without talking about trade and the impact that's having on markets and, and anxieties among producers and the ability to sell their product and, and make you know reasonably long-term plans, all that kind of stuff. While most of these producers back our president's play on trade, nevertheless, they've got to live with the, with the current turmoil uh, day in and day out. So you can't eliminate that from the concept of just why it's important to get this done. But you're exactly right. In 14, there was actual conversation about doing away with Title I altogether. Because we had, you know, senators saying, well, you know, we'll never see another poor day in farm agriculture. We'll always have 9 or $10 uh, wheat, and, and those prices are never going to go down. Why do we actually need this thing? Well, everybody knows that prices go down. And sure enough, they have, in fact, gone down. And so the stress of five years' worth of eating into your capital, eating into your seed, eating into your savings, and those kind of things to try to keep the hearth at home together on, on these farms and ranches, the, you know, taking second and third jobs, all the things that are going on out there. Bankruptcies are up 39% over the last two years. And, Jeff, as you know, suicides among farm families are, are increasing. And that just haunts me every single day that this is so hard. The idea of losing a multi-generational farm or ranch is the pressure there is so heavy 
that it would cause someone to make a really, really bad decision with respect to taking their own life. That really haunts me, and, and I'm bothered that, that not having a farm bill done may contribute in some small way to that terrible decision. The four of us can get this farm bill done, and folks in production agriculture need just a little bit of relief that would say, all right, right, wrong, or different, here's what it's going to look like for the next five years. And, and that's in our capacity to get done, and we could take whatever weight that not having a farm bill is putting on and the pressure it's putting on folks, on bankers and others. Let's get that off their table, and, and, and there's really good reasons to do it. And, but you're exactly right. 14 was dramatically different. Uh, Frank Lucas did a terrific job of preserving a safety net that didn't appear to be needed. But goodness gracious, after five years of needing it, I don't think anybody's having that conversation right now except maybe a couple of senators. Let's talk about financial matters. Uh, and one, the Senate plan has an energy title, and the House does not. Costs money to run that title. What's the path forward there? Well, just agree with the House bill, and and uh, we'll get uh, we we'll use those resources better somewhere else. Not likely to happen in its entirety. None of us are going to get everything exactly the way we want it. That's clearly one that I'm willing to negotiate, and we have been negotiating with my Senate colleagues to try to figure out why on earth they think it's necessary to keep those programs in place. But it's an area where we disagree and have not yet put to bed. But I'm not insisting that, uh, that it be 100% my way in that particular title, and it's, uh, it's being negotiated right now. What about conservation with CSP funds and to equip? Most of the important groups out there that weigh in on this issue uh, believe that what we've done in the House bill is the right way to go that EQIP is a better way than the CSP. Certainly those second-term contracts under CSP are a bit of an embarrassment. When you look at what we're asking people to do to, to get those dollars for those uh, second contracts, we're not abrogating, uh, any of the, abrogating, abrogating any of those contracts. They just run off. We just don't create new ones. So we don't hurt anybody. We just quit writing new ones, and we move that money into EQIP. We'll also try to move some of the better you know, first tranche CSP things that make a lot of sense into ECREP as well to make that happen. So it's a bit of a blend. That's a program that just needs to go away. Uh, it's not uh, not efficient. Now, there are a few, uh, you know, groups out there that, that have a particular, particular bent on this issue, and, and they disagree with it. But the weight of uh, uh, the gravitas of the groups that, that support us, I think, certainly outweighs that small number of uh, folks out there who think that uh, CSP should be continued. So, again, working to try to, to not uh, hurt anybody. If you don't have a CSP contract and you don't get one, but you can get into EQIP and we broaden EQIP where we have to start meeting that, some of those unmet needs in EQIP, why would that be a better, uh, a better circumstance? So, But, again, another indication that another title where deep differences of opinion are keeping us from getting to a final conclusion. Assuming that the Farm Bill could get a vote in the lame duck, then what is the timeline in October for the four principles to come to, and what of the time, assuming that the full committee could come together to rubber stamp it? So I think the next two weeks uh, before the Big Four is, is immensely critical. Senator Stabenow has a, an aggressive race in Michigan. I know she's going to want to be home and having those conversations with her deal. I've got a race in, in uh, District 11. And so the next two weeks, I think the Senate's in. Uh, the House is not, but I'm going to be here whenever needed to try to keep moving this process forward. So if the big four of us could get, it, get our work done in the next two weeks, then that would allow getting the paperwork done, getting the scores in from CBO, getting the conference report ready to go, and then that first week after the election back, we could have that meeting of the conference report, or the signing of the conference report, and then you know work through the getting across both floors in November or uh, early December. So there's, a, there's a, uh, an exquisite path forward. 
for getting this thing done in the lame duck, but it requires the four of us to get our work done. Nobody else can do it than this, this next, uh, next couple of weeks. There's some very important elements of the farm bill that now are unfunded with the failure to meet the Sunday deadline. How long before you consider an extension? Um, again, the, uh, the whole conversation with extension means we give up. And, uh, and I'm not particularly in the give up mode. I hate quitting. Um, I, I, I've told some folks other places I've played football way too long. Uh, my body's telling me that these days. But, uh, one of the things you do if it's time of the clock, you don't quit. No matter what the score is. You, I got beat 76 to nothing one time in a junior college football game. And the idea, you go with that other guy as hard as you can, no matter what the score is. And so, any conversation about extensions at this stage is, uh, well, I quit, I give up, and I can't do that. That's just not in my DNA. I had 70 years of not doing that, so uh, I don't really want to. I want to have that conversation uh, at this stage. This is a, let's get this done. This is a speculative question, but it still needs to be asked. If it fails, if you fail to get the farm bill inside the lame duck vote, and now we're looking at 2019. And I realize what has been quoted by Mr. Peterson about telling uh, Mr. Roberts that let's let's get it done. If it fails, how would you expect a farm bill and nutrition language to change if there is a majority change in either chamber or both? Um, I'm going to just give you the same answer I just gave you. I'm just not ready to have that conversation with anybody at this stage. We'll know the election. You know, speculation is based for good, uh, you know, good conversation, those kind of things. I'd rather speculate on whether the Cowboys are going to win Sunday or, you know, Texas Tech's going to win, those kind of speculations. But this is too grave to go into that kind of speculative narrative right now. Uh, and I just, I don't, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to get this one done. Uh, there's no reason not to get this one done that I'm certainly aware of. And so we'll cross that bridge when we have to. But I'm, I'm convinced we don't have to cross that bridge. We can get this thing done. Uh, in this 115th Congress. So that leads me to this question. What does any member of the Principle 4 gain by delaying a compromise on this measure? I can only speak for myself. I gain nothing by doing that. I've, I tell audience from time to time when they start, you know, you're chairman and you haven't done anything. You get a lot of hugging and smooching and, and bragging and patting you on the back and a lot of standing ovations. Your jokes are funnier and all that kind of good stuff. But I really don't think you can call yourself a chairman unless you've done a farm bill, and I haven't done one. So for me to fail and not get this thing done, at least inside my head, is failure. So I don't gain anything by not getting it done, and uh, and I'm I'm super motivated uh, to get this thing done. Well, you know, there would there would be those who would suggest that Chairman Conomay would be better off to make a bigger compromise here in the short run, get a final bill, than to be the ranking member in nineteen and still try to accomplish purposes. Well, looking at just that, I, I, I can't make that compromise and, and get anywhere near as much as I'd get as ranking member. So uh, just from that standpoint, uh, and, I, and I'm not. I can't get, I'm not going to put a bill on the floor that gets more Democrat votes than Republican votes. That happened in the Senate. I understand the dynamics over there, but I cannot, will not refuse to do that. Uh, to my guys, I'm not going to make that happen because that would mean the policies that we fought for, the, the, the things that we think are important, I've abandoned ship on, and I'm not doing that. Now, it may cost me, quote-unquote, the legacy of actually having done a farm bill, but that's just that's my problem, not anybody else's. i got to get this farm bill done 
and I'm not going to do something just so I can brag that I got a farm bill done, you know, part of the portrait hanging. And say, oh, yeah, I got one done, but I'm not going to be doing one that I'm ashamed of. And uh, if it means not doing one, it means not doing one, and we'll fight that fight later. It's, it's understood that uh, nutrition is one of the bigger areas. And I know that there is a sanctity in the room while the negotiations are underway. Can you give us any insight of what you might have offered in a compromise? And uh, from Chairman Roberts' comments on this same program, it suggested, you know, there's work requirements in the law. We just need to enforce them. Can you comment about the nutrition uh, question? Well, I agree with him. We need to enforce the work requirements. Uh, we make modest changes in those work requirements, but at, at the core of what we want to do is get people back to work. There's also deep division about what we do with the money that doesn't get spent when we start enforcing work requirements to, to force people to work who choose not to work because they don't want to work that 20 hours a week. And so that's, uh, you know, our, we replied those dollars back into education and training, workforce development uh, at the state level and state-run deals. My, my colleague from Minnesota hates that. Uh, and so there are even deep divisions about what we would do with those dollars that we're trying to come to grips with. But when I talk about a 20-hour work week, I get to talk to farmers and ranchers a lot and also talk to oil and gas guys, you know, roughnecks and, and service company guys. And I mentioned we're trying to enforce a 20-hour work week. Most of them look at it and go like, well, I got 20 hours done by Tuesday. And so or that's that second and third job my wife and I are trying to do to keep this deal together. So nobody that I get to represent is too concerned that 20 hours is too onerous uh, requirement. We're just not enforcing it. You look at the map of where the waivers are at a 4% unemployment rate, it's embarrassing. And so it's not Sonny Purdue's job to fix. It's Pat Robertson, my job to fix, and we need to get that done. And Ms. Stabenow and, and Mr. Peterson need to go along with us on this deal because none of them would argue that a, that a work requirement is not is not important. They would just argue we don't need to enforce it. So we gotta, we've got some stuff to do yet on SNAP as well. And finally, Chairman Conaway, we want to thank you for taking time during a very busy schedule to speak with us here on Open Mic. It is Open Mic, and you have the last word. Well, uh the one thing I would ask your listeners to do is to call their senators, uh, their Senate offices, and tell their senators to get on board with this farm bill. Our thanks to Texas 11th District Congressman and House Agriculture Chair Mike Conaway, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. Global sugar subsidies are increasing at a threat to 142,000 sugar industry jobs in the U.S., Learn more about the American Sugar Alliance Zero for Zero Sugar Policy at SugarAlliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly.